we have sought out opportunities every chance we've gotten and uh, it's it's paid off with this being the the high water mark in the history of the state of Kansas for new capital investment in a single year. As communities in the United States and, and really around the world figured out how to manage uh, the COVID-19 pandemic um, and, and really all the challenges that were thrown our way this year, citizens look to leadership. This is what we do. We look to the people who we've elected or who are in charge to help lead the way. And we were very fortunate in our own community and in our own county to have a group of people who not only had strong will and strong desire to make sure we get through this, but also the ability to work together to come up with solutions and sometimes creative solutions uh, to deal with something that we haven't really ever dealt with. Uh, today, in, in examining the role of leadership and of, of courageous and collaborative leaders, we have two segments. Our first focused on our, our local city and county leaders. Uh, we have with us today, uh, we'll have uh, Commissioner Jeremy Johnson. He uh, serves as commissioner on the county, Crawford County Commission, representing a big chunk of Pittsburgh. Uh, we have just former mayor, Don McNay, who also still remains as a commissioner on the uh, City of Pittsburgh uh, Commission, and also works uh, as an administrator at Community Health Center Southeast Kansas. And then finally, we'll have with us Jay Byers, Deputy City Manager of City of Pittsburgh, and someone who uh, Brett and I have had the pleasure to work with very closely over the last 10 years as, as we've been working to, to grow and advance Pittsburgh. And then well, we have a special treat uh, today with someone that is from Southeast Kansas, still considers himself a Southeast Kansas, but uh, that is newly minted uh, Lieutenant Governor David Toland, who is from Southeast Kansas, a good friend of, of, of ours and a good friend of Block 22. Uh, and he will continue his role as uh, Secretary of Commerce. And we know as we, as we advance forward through the recovery period uh, from the pandemic, uh, the role of uh, innovative leadership at Commerce is going to be vitally important. So we're pleased that Lieutenant Governor Toland is keeping that post and we're pleased that he would join us today. So to dive into our examination of the role of collaborative and courageous leadership, helping us to advance through this difficult time. Let's go around the block with Commissioner Jeremy Johnson, Commissioner Don McNay, and City of Pittsburgh De Deputy City Manager Jay Byers. Okay, well, uh, welcome everyone uh, to this episode of Around the Block. Today, uh, we are very fortunate to have three uh, local leaders who are emblematic of uh, the collaborative leadership that we want to elevate and to highlight uh, for 2020. Uh, we have um, uh, Commissioner Don McNay, who's just just a week away from being mayor. Uh, so she spent most of, the, of 2020 as mayor for the city of Pittsburgh. We have uh, County Commissioner Jeremy Johnson and uh, Deputy City Manager of the City of Pittsburgh, Jay Byers. So welcome all three to Around the Block. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. So as part of our year-end uh, approach, and, and, I, and again, trying to maybe create a little bit of a digital time capsule for, for Pittsburgh, for our county, for this community, as, as how we addressed and, and faced 2020, and highlighting some of those folks who were most important in helping us to get through that, we thought uh, the three of you would be great exemplars of that local collaborative leadership that we've had. Uh, and I've, in addition to your formal roles, the city or the county, I, I've had the pleasure of working with the three of you this year on our joint, uh, our, our joint task force, the task force, the Crawford County Recovery Task Force, which I feel like was really a model for how counties, particularly of our size, can address uh, the pandemic and, and getting to the other side. And so that's been a great pleasure. So I want to throw out first and, and uh, uh, Don, maybe we'll, we'll start with you on this if, if you want, uh, or if you want to defer, you can too. But uh, the first sort of question we've been asking uh, folks is, what did 2020 mean to you and, and, what's, uh, and what lessons learned from 2020? 
Uh, well, 2020 was um, kind of a myriad of emotions. Um, in terms of the positive, it was, it is, continues to be very gratifying, as you said, to see how the entities have come together to respond to the COVID, to the COVID. Um, I had the unique position of not only serving on the commission, but also being part of the incident command structure here at Community Health. So uh, I saw it from both sides in terms of how our medical community responded and worked together and was were in constant communication, um, but also how the entities within the community, both on the private side and public side, came together um, with constant communication. Um, and then like many in our community, you know, our family had, you know, um, sadness at the loss of my husband. So um, I think like many, there was just uh, kind of a bumble of emotions, but in the end, um, from all perspectives, I think, um, as I mentioned in my state of the city, resiliency is the, is the word that I think we can put in parentheses behind the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, I know, and I, I think, Don, obviously, you more than, than many, uh, probably then uh, experienced the personal and the and the and the public challenges uh, all in one, and and um, I know that uh, you know our condolences are with you on your family's loss, and and uh, but uh, you you really ended up uh, exemplifying that very word uh, yourself, and and so we want to thank you for that. Thank um, you, Jeremy. Do you have uh, what from the county standpoint? And from your commit with your commissioner hat, and, and also I guess as your hat as a dad too, and whatever else uh, you want to uh, to use uh, to talk about 2020, uh, what uh, did you learn from 2020, and and what are you what lessons are you going to take forward? Um, so I will second Dawn's uh, idea that 2020 was truly a year of heightened emotion, right? That in pretty much every facet of life. Um, certainly myself and pretty much everybody that I know had experienced just uh, a continuous nonstop roller coaster uh, from the get-go, um, both personally and then county-wise. I mean, like, this was the year that we, um, like, once the pandemic and the lockdown started, like, we pulled our son out of daycare. My wife uh, is a teacher, and she started teaching remotely, and we were just, like, at home. Um, and so like, even though now things have kind of opened up, I've used my flexible schedule to be able to stay home with my son more, um, which has been really positive and awesome. Um, so there, it's not that, you know, everything coming out of this year has been horrible. Like it's really, um, made everybody and especially myself, like just rethink a lot of things, um, and review kind of my perspective on the world but then also just like at the county and administrative level um I think it has I mean with any crisis right it reveals kind of the the weak spots in any organization institution structure um and that it I think that it's an opportunity to really kind of again reassess and be like what are the things that we need to be accomplishing that we're either falling short on or that we can improve or something along those lines. Um, that a crisis is really an opportunity to make both yourself as an individual, but also like an organization or institution stronger. Um, and I guess kind of the ways that I've seen that in my position at the county um, has again been collaboration right that we've always kind of known like when I was on the city commission um you know it's helpful to have collaboration and reaching out uh to other agencies or organizations or institutions but in a time like this in a pandemic like it is not optional like you have to do that if people silo off if people simply do their own thing and keep their head down and don't talk to anybody else it causes all kinds of problems and confusion and contributes to the chaos um, at a time when you really want the opposite of that like you want a strong unified message you want everybody on the same page you want 
a common understanding of uh, both the the issues and uh, kind of the trials that are faced, uh, but also then a common understanding of how we're going about addressing those. Because if you don't have that, it everything breaks down very quickly, right? If everyone's like, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my individual response. You're going to get chaos. You're going to get more damage done. You're going to have all kinds of further problems, right? A, a crisis is a time. Um, it, it reveals that we need to have better and more communication regularly and making sure that we're on the same page and responding communally rather than individually if we actually want to accomplish our goals that's um that's pretty deep jeremy <laughs> that's uh i'm pretty sure we could uh, apply that to not just the local level but maybe even the national level uh and uh, and such and without getting too much into that it'd be nice if we all just work together a little bit better wouldn't it so um uh, appreciate that jeremy so jay is the only non-elected official on the call uh as the uh as the professional city management team uh what how what was your perspective on 2020 lessons learned and, and that you'll take forward well it's uh really uh kind of to me brought front and center the critical role that local government local organizations and local leaders have in in meeting the needs of, of the pe of the people i mean our institutions really have been walking away from us for many years. I mean, the media is you know, increasingly consolidated and in, in large scale ownership have their own agendas. Um, state and federal governments have been you know, frozen in these ideological conflicts. Um, we really have, have nowhere else to go but to look at ourselves and to, and to create, as, as Don and Jeremy have been saying, these collaborative frameworks to be able to to meet the needs of our people in the future um you know we really uh, locally have to create environments that 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 are neutral that 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 are supportive of, of people in our in our communities and that generate for a trust right we have to trust ourselves uh we are uh, you know I see the people that I, every day that, that I impact and, um, and that level of, of contact uh, really makes it real for me. And, and we need to, to make sure that we can, can help ourselves, help each other. There's nowhere else to go. I mean, you, you know, Sean and I, we've had long conversations, uh, philosophical conversations that, you know, that there's, you know, no one's coming, you know, we're on our own. And uh, that's uh, it's something that we need to uh, to keep in mind as, as we as we look into the future. And I don't know this necessarily that uh, that notion of we're on our own, no one's coming, has to be a dark notion either. I think that there's a sense of of that, you know, that the saying about all politics are local. You know, I think that we could uh, add on to that that maybe all solutions are local too. And I think that's something that we've demonstrated, and it's it's one of the most significant animating principles, I think, probably of what we're trying to accomplish with the stories we're trying to tell on this podcast is that, um, you know, probably too often, everybody's looking for someone else to come save them, whether that's the state or the federal government. And uh, if we spend a lot more time focused on what solutions can we have locally, uh, then maybe, you know, that's how we rebuild the fabric of the country. And, and it, it kind of cracks me up a little bit when we see things like in DC of, we have a group of problem solvers, you know, these eight senators or whatever it is. And, and it's like, wow, that seems like the things that we're trying to do every single day. It, it doesn't seem like something that should be highlighted as a aberration in DC, but uh, unfortunately it is. I think um, the other thing is um, we, as a community county city, we've shown bold leadership. I'm, you know, proud of the county commissioners. Sometimes they were brought along, you know, kicking and screaming, but they really, um, have demonstrated um, that they followed their health officers. You know, there was a recent article out about how many health officers and, and um, health department directors just experiencing horrible situations just by trying to keep people safe. And, and um, 
our county commission along with the task force and and private business i think we've really been bold and one of the lessons i'd like to take forward in 2021 is we can't go backwards you know we may get the vaccine this virus may subside but we still have negative health outcomes and everything we've learned in terms of working together and being bold during this situation can take us forward to help address the other health issues we have. I want to pick up on that theme of, of not going backwards and and I guess related to just the community overall and and Jay I wanted to ask you you know we've <clears throat> before this crazy year I think everyone was confident and excited about the progress in Pittsburgh and the, all the new things and just the excitement and the energy. Uh, and I wanted to ask, earlier in 2020, before the pandemic was such a thing here in the States, what was the focus of the city? As you looked at 2020 and goals and, and what you wanted to accomplish at the city level, what was on your, your plate, on your mind? And then also kind of talk about how we went about still accomplishing some of those things, even while focusing on the pandemic. Because I, I think sometimes I get concerned that it seems like this year it's just painted by the pandemic, but there's other things that happen and other positive things. And so what are some of the highlights that people might not know um, were accomplished this year? Yeah, it's been an unusual uh, year. The city actually has has grown <laughs> through this pandemic. Our, our sales tax is actually up this year. Uh, our revenues are, are, are very stable and, and uh, we're continuing with a lot of the initiatives we started the year with. Uh, we obviously are interested in, in growing the city uh, and, and really that means increasing the wealth in the community. Um, and, and that's a lot. Some of that has to do with with housing. Some of that has to do with addressing, you know, uh, some of the re uh, restrictions on growth, like like childcare, uh, and early childhood education, those kind of things. And, and we continue to work on those things. Uh, it really is a uh, uh, one of the main things we wanted to make sure as we went through this year is that the public understood that the city wasn't going anywhere. There was no no panic. No, I mean, water was going to be delivered police and fire were going to be available that all no matter what happened uh, we had to maintain that we've also continued to to do our street maintenance program we actually had our uh, street sales tax renewed for 10 years right which is a, a long thing so we're going to have adequate funds to maintain our streets you know for the next decade which gives us a lot of leverage at the state level and with our contractors as well so uh, we've continued to to position the city to be able to grow into the next decade, and that really was our was our our goal. We the city, the specific programs that the city has are are certainly of value, but the real value that the city brings is creating an environment that allows the community to grow organically, uh, and that that means making sure that we there's a stability, a foundation in the community that that people can rely on. And Jeremy, I kind of wanted you to pick up on that as well from the county level. Um, what do you see throughout the county and, and how do you feel like things have gone this year, um, just despite, you know, all the craziness? Well, I mean, like Jay had said, um, all of the stuff that the county normally does continued to happen, even in the face of even though like the only thing it feels like we talked about was pandemic day in and day out. Um, but like roads are still getting fixed and we're still, um, you know, the, all of the, um, different departments within the county, like the, you know, the register of deeds and the treasurer and the appraiser's office, um, and zoning, like all of, all of them continue to do the things that they're obligated to do through state statute. Like we had an election this year, <laughs> like it feels eons ago somehow just because this year has felt like a decade all squished into 365 days um but we you know considerable things have happened and happened well um that there continues to be you know strong leadership there and i i think the for me again going to back to kind of what i talked about earlier that like the 
the positives that the crisis had brought on um, were that kind of collaborative sort of thing. Like, again, we'd always kind of known, oh, we should be talking to these other agencies and entities, but this was the year that it's like, it needs to happen. And so, I don't know, for me, in a lot of ways, like the work of the recovery task force, and especially, like, I really want to highlight the the funding that we got through the CARES Act for uh, the that was distributed through the state in the form of the SPARC committee, the $1.2 billion or whatever it was, um, that, you know, I feel like Crawford County really demonstrated and was like a model. I feel like, like I'd heard lots of stories of neighboring counties who were like, you know, they got the money and they were like, our treasurer is going to handle this. Or they put it up on their Facebook page and like, anybody that wants money, come and get it. And like, I, I cannot imagine what that would feel like or look like being in that community where it's like, yeah, we got like a million or in our case, like almost $8 million and we're just going to like put it up on a poster board or something and be like, first come, first serve. Um, like the, the work of the task force and our, uh, the consultant we hired in Greenbush helping us navigate that and Monica Mernan's help with her collaboration with the state and her working at Greenbush and helping to navigate this um, was totally instrumental so that like the way that we got the money out um, was incredibly well vetted. There were a ton of eyeballs reviewing it. Um, it was very inclusive in the process and was widespread then in how we got it out that like we managed to, you know, both um send money to local governmental agencies including the city and the county um the health department um and then separately like the medical system and then a um, a business funding program and just like we checked off a lot of boxes and hit a lot of priorities in what was an intensely fast-paced situation that like from beginning to end was like six months. It was like, we were notified, oh, by the way, you're getting $8 million. Oh, by the way, you have to spend it by the end of the year. By the way, it's gonna have to be really well documented and you can't screw it up. You're gonna be audited and you're gonna have to give the money back. Like it was incredibly intense and high stakes. And I felt like the way that we were able to hand that, and like, honestly, a lot of people on this podcast were involved in that process and and helping to move those things along. Like it was a recommendation of the task force to like hire a consultant and suggested Greenbush and like that moved a lot of those things in the direction that got us so well positioned that left us, you know, not with the choice of like, well, do we just put it up on Facebook or like do a PSA or something? Like it really set us up for success. And I think that that showed then and how that played out so again like i don't know the this year has been a good demonstration of what working together can do like that it, it really is not an option right like we if we want to be successful if we want our communities to thrive if we want um to as jay said like create a local environment that allows for people to grow and thrive and be successful, we have to be working together. We can't do it by ourselves. But like the county can't do it alone. The city can't do it alone. Like there has to be, um, there has to be working together in order to make that happen. And I, I think this year is an excellent demonstration of that. You know, um, following up on what Jeremy said, this, it just didn't happen this year. I mean, there was a, they, we have built a foundation, our community with the city's leadership, PSU, business um, owners, uh, that foundation was there. Um, and it positioned us not only to thrive a little bit in terms of revenues, et cetera, this year, but to build on the strengths of those existing collaborations. So um, planning is an important part uh, that I think got us to be able to be resilient this year. Yeah, I think I think that's a really important point, uh, Don. You know, I, I was just making some notes here, thinking of, of of some of the things that were kind of those foundational building blocks. The 
the Joint City University Advisory Board, which is something that we established. It's now what going on five years ago. Uh, and actually that was the genesis of the task force of the recovery task force. It actually originally came out of that Joint City University Advisory Board and, and conversations that Jeremy and Jay and I were having about the kind of the vacuum leadership vacuum, the coordination leadership vacuum, and, and seeing like how important that was in places like New York City, where you were seeing on TV being done, we didn't really have that. And I think there was that sense of, hey, let's let's leverage an existing institutional organizational structure that we've put together to get the right people to the table. Or imagine Pittsburgh 2030, which is something that everyone on this call in one way or another has been involved in, uh, and, and those sorts of things. And so, um, you know, Jay, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more even about the importance of those those baseline foundational structures to to how we've managed to to weather this this year well you really can't um address the, the you can't create the environment for for growth or progress as jeremy has indicated unless you have those structures in place to begin with um you know what when i first came to pittsburgh um you know uh there was a lot of, of strength that, that in the community, a lot of um, strong organizations, a lot of uh, strong leaders, uh, but there wasn't the coordination. Uh, and, and so, you know, when I got here, I was like, I was shocked by the relation, the poor relationship between the university and the city. I was like, what, what? how can that be? You know, there has to be a, a, a level of, of communication, regular communication, and it has to be structured. And without that, it just doesn't happen. Um, there's there's obviously natural synergies amongst the organizations and, and in the community, but unless they're the, unless they're formalized, you can't take advantage of that. The, the beautiful thing is the more it's it's like uh, there's a an axiom in, in network philosophy that the, the the value of a network is is uh, geometrically relational to the amount of connections in the network itself so the, each connection that you make strengthens the entire community and 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 the more you formalize it the stronger those get again i go back to trust it, it increases the trust in the community the value of trust within your uh, within your environment that you're creating uh, really helps propel uh, progress and and what we're seeing in Pittsburgh is is really uh, the results of a lot of that groundwork that has been laid over the last decade uh, to to really take advantage of, of those organizations by creating relationships. Uh, leave it to Jay Byers to figure out some way to make software networking that I couldn't understand otherwise uh, applicable and interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm just glad I had Google pulled up right there. I know. It's like, what is he saying? What is he talking about? Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. It's every once in a while, I, I talk to Jay and I think, maybe we are living in the Matrix. I'm, I'm yeah. not really sure. If so, I'm glad I'm friends with him. He's like Morpheus. Um, so, um, and... I don't have any pills for you, though. So. Uh, well, okay. That would make 2020 <laughs> years some days, right? We should um, have a pharmacist on this call. Yeah, I know. We, I will say, uh, we clearly need to and want to have a longer discussion and deeper discussion about some of these things that we're talking about. I mean, obviously, uh, exploring some of those deeper things. And this, of course, today, we're just focusing on 2020 and, and then looking into 2021. So um, I've, got a, I've got a few sort of just lightning questions for you guys. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through and, and this, I, you guys weren't prepared for this. So who knows how this is going to work out. Uh, so the first question, and, and I don't know, Don, you don't even have to choose the word you've already chosen, but uh, I'll start with you. Uh, the, the word for 2020. For 2020? Yeah. <sighs> Survival. Jeremy? Um, oh, man. Um, I hate to steal the title, but like cooperation. Jay? Trust. Okay. So I don't know how much any of you guys, uh, I assume you either read, listen to music, listen to books, watch something. So if we're thinking about the things that help to get you through that were media wise, what's in your headphones, what's on your speakers in the car, what's what you're reading. Uh, so Jay, we'll start with you. Um, 
<laughs> streaming. <laughs> I, I, I stream a ton of uh, movies these days. I don't get out much. Uh, so it was... Uh, so what was, your had, favorite, what was your favorite movie that you saw this year? Um, I've been really watching more uh, series than, than movies. But uh, I think... If I have to pick one, I've watched a, uh, a, a, a sweet, uh, is it Norway? Is Norway called, uh, oh, it's Occupied. Norway. Have you yeah, watched Occupied? That was pretty interesting, yeah. Oh, Occupied, okay. You Occupied. need to watch Occupied. Okay, Occupied. Is you that... will be scared. You will oh, be well, scared. that seems like what I need right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. So Don, is that is that yours pick too? Is occupied? Uh, no, that's kind of dark. Um, actually, my son and I are doing book shares on Audible, and we are reading Thomas Friedman's "Thank You for Being Late," um, which is really about the acceleration. And Jay probably knows that book, um, and it's really interesting because it it kind of shows where we have been, where we are, and maybe where we're going technology-wise. And so. Um, it just kind of gives a perspective on um, how um, how fast we need to learn and, and adapt, which is what we've done this year. That's Learned right. fast and adapted. Okay, Jeremy. Book, show, podcast. You don't have to pick around the block. I know you probably would want to pick around the block. <laughs> uh, a song, whatever. What's the, what is it for you? So I, my wife is a much more uh, consummate podcast uh, consumer than I am. I, I honestly don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I am a uh, music, TV show, and book kind of guy. Um, although I will say probably for me this year, uh, this has been the year of the email newsletter. Like I've kind of discovered uh, there is this kind of ecosystem of independent journalists who have either left or are kind of on the margins of mainstream uh, kind of legacy media outlets, magazines, uh, newspapers, that kind of thing that will self-publish on, it's basically a blogging platform called Substack. Um, but it, the way it works then is it delivers into your email uh, the, the newsletters or blogs of these writers. And so I've had a couple um, that I've really gotten into. I, I love the work of Matt Stoller. Um, he focuses a ton on monopolization and the structuring of markets as uh, a political force uh, that is totally fascinating. And his, his newsletter is all about monopoly and he talks about um, all of the different forms that it kind of shows up in American society. And he had a book that he just published this last year um, about like the history of monopoly in the United States for the last hundred years. That is super interesting. Um, so like there are obvious ones, right. That we think about of like Google, Facebook, Amazon kind of stuff, but like he gets super into the weeds and talks about uh, monopolization in like competitive cheerleading or uh, Jay can probably speak to this, but like uh, software um, and uh, technology stuff, especially, but also then in like publishing, um, retail certainly, but just like all of the various ways that American life is structured around corporate and monopoly power. Um, getting back to kind of the, what we were talking about before of like local, uh, local responses to things, how that undermines them. Um, and it has been super eye-opening and has made me kind of rethink how I think about politics and like what I want to achieve and how it should be gone about. Um, so for me, yes, the 2020 has been the year of the email newsletter on a more like survival, just like primal getting through the day level. Um, I am also, I listen to a ton of music, but specifically, and I don't, I, I, a few people know this about me, but not many. I love really loud, heavy, extreme metal. Like black and death metal are my, like, if I am feeling in a dark place, I need to throw on um, 
some really loud stuff that most people would consider unlistenable. Is that uh, your so stress, really, Jeremy? Is that how you really stress? It really is. Like Megan <laughs> has listened to some of it, and she's like, "This is torture." And like, you you just don't understand. Like, it, don't, have, it have you exposed your son to it? I act. <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. I actually have. Oh not, boy. Not intentionally. So I <laughs> listen to it on my phone. And then in the evening, we listen to music. And it's been like Harry Potter soundtrack and like Moana and Disney songs. There you go. Which he loves. Um, but then one day he asked about uh, this Russian black metal band that showed up on my YouTube music feed. And I'm like, okay. Because um, he was like, oh, it looks spooky. And he listened to it. I'm like, do you like it? He's like, yeah, kind of. Like, well, the, okay. the child Just care providers will be thrilled with yeah. that. Yes, <laughs> to play that during nap time. <laughs> At least they're probably speaking Russian, so he won't be like repeating something that's going to offend most of the kids in his. Yeah, uh, no. It, it, yeah, unless he is like on some level learning Russian, and then I'm actually yes. really preparing him well for like a, a future in international politics. Yeah, uh, that's good. That's good. So, so Sean and Brett, what about you guys? What have you listened to? What are you reading? Brett. Brett. Um, well, I'm a, on the music front, I'm a huge fan of Britpop, like 80s Britpop. So like the Smiths and Morrissey and New Order, Joy Division, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I also recently discovered this hot new band called Pearl Jam. <laughs> new band, this guy. Yeah, no, it, as, Sean, as Sean knows, I'm like 20, 30 years behind everyone. So like, I, you know, I never listened to Radiohead or Pearl Jam or anything, but I recently have. And I was like, oh, those guys are pretty good. Um, <laughs> and then I guess on the on non-music front, I on the British theme, I fell in love with this guy named Douglas Murray, who's an author. And he wrote this book called The Madness of Crowds. And it's basically focused on, uh, I guess, a lot of societal issues and how sometimes crowds and mob rule and mob think get in the way of real conversations mm. and it, so really if it's british i'm into it honestly <laughs> so god bless could not be more of an anglophile uh i just like how they talk like they could <laughs> i don't care really what they <laughs> say that's why you like to go back east where it all e began exactly yeah. yes yes so uh for me i i actually also thanks to brett actually uh Brett in, in an isolation period discovered Douglas Murray and uh, he texted me and sent me some videos and that's actually so I got in Douglas Murray read the madness of crowds that's probably the book that was the most important book for me in 2020 uh, in, in sort of assessing this really challenging cultural time that we face our, that we're faced with um, and, uh, and and also I, I've, I've listened uh, a lot to Jordan Peterson and Jonathan Haidt, who uh, he and a, uh, I can't remember what his co-author's name was, wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. That was something that I, uh, I was really impactful. I'm a, I'm a huge music person. And uh, for those who are on Spotify, uh, you would have gotten your 2020 wraps thing. So it's like tells you what you listen to and what, how much and what was your number one song and those sorts of things. Uh, one observation I had is that I, my music listening, I, had, I listened to 800 hours this year of uh and that includes podcasting too but that was down 20 percent from last year and what i realized is that's because i wasn't in the car as much because i'm usually traveling more and that sort of thing but uh interestingly enough uh, i have long loved pearl jam uh and, and that's something that brett finally i'm glad he's on that bandwagon now uh and of course a, a band and a person that was so influential to them is neil young and I knew from like, even in my high school days, I had a little bit of passing sort of knowledge of Neil Young. But I will say that in January, I sort of had my eyes opened to Neil Young and uh, the song, particularly Like a Hurricane, uh, that song. And, 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 and even as the year went on, took, had more uh, impact. So the, my top two songs, uh, listened to songs for 2020 were Ohio and Like a Hurricane. Uh, by uh, Neil Young, Crazy Horse, and then Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young on Ohio. And so uh, Neil Young this year made it onto my Mount Rushmore of artists alongside Bruce Springsteen and some others that are kind of my touchstone, Bob Dylan, uh, et cetera. So uh, that was, and then uh, obviously I listened to a lot of podcasts too. Um, and, uh, but yeah, 
it's uh it's interesting how much less media i probably consumed even though i was sitting on the computer because i wasn't in my car which is usually where i would be i would be doing that so well i do also have to put in a plug for good omens too and uh, you know the combination of terry pratchett and neil gaiman fantastic story by the way and apocalyptic which is not inappropriate for this year so is, is good omens is the is the one that's the uh, two angels the the demon and the angel right that that's were, correct yeah i i watched uh christy and i watched the first episode and i was like this is good then we for whatever reason we we never we never revisited it but um well, i would I highly recommend Okay, I would highly recommend if you haven't watched, if you guys haven't watched Fargo, the not the original movie, which I love. Joel Ethan Cohen are probably my two favorite directors, but the series and this most recent season of Fargo was centered in Kansas City, Missouri, actually, uh, and it was about the the gang violence in the fifties. So I'd recommend that. All right. Well, Brett, do you have anything else? Yes, I just have. One question, real quick. Coffee or tea? <laughs> Coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. I'm totally with Don on that one. Wine and I'm <laughs> jumping on that bandwagon. Uh, that is definitely my routine. Yeah, I agree. And especially with the wine at night, uh, Don added. I like that. Coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon, wine at night. You got to hydrate. You got to hydrate. <laughs> you do. Okay. Well, here's to eventually getting to be able to drink some coffee together uh, and wine too uh, this year. So uh, appreciate all that the three of you have done and continue to do. Excited about the work we'll do together in the 2021. And um, so does anyone have, before we, before we jump off of here, I wanna make sure if there's any final comments uh, that you have an opportunity to share that uh, with our listeners. I just think 2021, once we get past the vaccine distribution, is going to be a great year for Pittsburgh and the county. Agreed. I uh, I definitely want to say that uh, basically, look, this isn't a zero-sum game, all right? People want to force us into decisions that, that you know, if you help this person, you're hurting that person, or if you if you do this, you give up that. That simply isn't the case. Don't let people force force us into making some false dichotomies or false decisions. It isn't us versus them. There's only us. Well, that seems like a great note to end on. I agree. It's a good t-shirt. That is. It's not us versus them. It's just us. Man, we need to write that down. I love that. Yeah. I'm starting a bumper sticker operation (laughs) okay you should warp speed that Uh, yeah okay jay byers 2024 (laughs) (laughs) you 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 won't yet be old enough apparently to run for president because but uh yeah okay well thanks Thanks, guys appreciate it thank you see you later so much guys okay thank you shifting gears slightly toward the state and of course uh, we all know that uh in, in many respects kansas uh, we have our challenges with regard to the way that the pandemic has hit us, but we've also, um, I think you could point to ways in which we've mitigated things better than some similarly situated states. And so we wanted to have an opportunity to talk to someone on the state level about this year. And it, may, it was fitting that we could have somebody who uh, is just slightly removed from Southeast Kansas and still considers himself a Southeast Kansan. And the timing of this was was pretty ideal because we managed to get him uh, to join us on Around the Block the week that he was named the the state's newest lieutenant governor. And so we're very proud of Lieutenant Governor David Toland, who remains Secretary of Commerce and um, always a Southeast Kansan and always our friend. So uh, we're pleased to go Around the Block with Lieutenant Governor David Toland. All right. Well, uh, we have a great honor today and, and, and very excited to have with us um, the newly minted Lieutenant Governor of Kansas. Uh, but more important, uh, we do like to call him our friend and, and hopefully he's okay with us calling him David. Uh, we have with us uh, Lieutenant Governor David Toland and uh, we're just so pleased to have you here today, David. Oh, Sean, it's great to be on and uh, to be with my old friend. So thanks for the invite. Yeah, and so, you know, uh, David, we've, 
you and I have been friends for almost a decade and worked together in different capacities in Southeast Kansas as you were working with uh, Thrive Allen County and and then over the last uh, uh, year and a half, two years as Secretary of Commerce, which I'm glad to say you also are keeping that hat. Uh, we're, we're glad that we're not going to lose you from that role. But uh, for this, the focus of today is, is all about 2020. And as we look forward to with some hope in the 2021 and sort of capturing in some kind of time capsule, uh, strangest of years and, and reflections. And uh, specifically for you, as we focus on the notions of courageous and collaborative leadership uh, is the leadership that you provided, that the governors provided uh, for our state. And so as you think about 2020, what did it mean and has it meant and will it continue to mean for you personally and professionally uh, and as you think about your role in leading, helping to lead the state of Kansas? Well, I bet everybody has the same, you know, kind of answer on this, which is that it's been a year of tremendous change. And um, in the case of the Department of Commerce and the work that we've done, there have been so many opportunities that have been created to do our work differently. And, um, and frankly, to, to press the strengths that the state has. If you look at how, um, at, at the sectors that are growing right now, e-commerce, logistics, distribution, food processing, manufacturing PPE, Kansas has natural strengths in those areas. And so this has been a year of just extraordinary opportunities on that side. But also, I'm really proud that we've been able to support um, over 3,000 small businesses across the state with SPARC grants that have helped them with their liquidity needs, you know, um, payroll, utilities, inventory, those sort of things. And so um, it's, it's been a, uh, an exhilarating time in one sense. It's also been very sobering as we've seen the, the human and economic uh, toll that COVID has taken. But we have sought out opportunities every chance we've gotten, and uh, it's, it's paid off with this being the, the high watermark in the history of the state of Kansas for new capital investment in a single year. $2.5 billion invested by businesses in Kansas this year. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, that's incredible. Um, and I assume that's been statewide. Yeah, and, and that's maybe what I'm most pleased about. As somebody from Southeast Kansas, I'm a seventh generation Allen Countyan. And, um, you know, we, we've seen for, you know, the last, uh, you know, several decades, much of the prosperity has been driven um, and, and has been centered in our metros, which is, which is fine, which is great. But we've got to make sure that there's prosperity across the state in our, our rural areas as well. And so we've done deals in southwest Kansas, northeast Kansas, northwest, southeast, and everywhere in between. And, um, you know, that's been a lot of fun. And, and frankly, to be able to execute on Governor Kelly's vision for rural prosperity has has been uh, just a, a tremendous honor. How does something like that happen in, in a year of that's it, easy to feel like everything is awful? <laughs> you know, and it, and it can feel like it's nothing but bad everywhere in 2020. How do we do that? How, how does a state accomplish such a feat uh, to set a record like that? Well, you know, um, the seeds for this were planted last year, actually. So when Governor Kelly and I came into office in January of 2019, we started first with making sure that we had the team on the bench that we needed in order to be able to seize opportunities. State of Kansas for a long time had had recruiters in New York and Los Angeles and, and Chicago and Dallas and Atlanta. And um, over the last decade, we got rid of most of those positions. And so priority one for me was rebuilding the team of recruiters to bring business to the state. And so we went out and um, governor empowered me to hire the best talent and we did that. And so we've got terrific people that are in these markets that uh, had established relationships with, with companies prior to COVID so that when March hit and uh, these, these companies in, in the sectors that I described earlier were ready to go um, with making these new investments, we were all lined up and able to, to execute on these deals for them. And so 
Um, that has really been the key, but also it's been about partnerships at the local level. So we've got terrific economic development organizations and chambers of commerce and, and university partners across the state. And, um, you know, in the past, there, there had been some loss of those relationships maybe from the, the Department of Commerce level. And so we have focused really hard on making sure that we had those relationships, those partnerships in place so that when a company calls and they're looking for uh, a 40 acre site that's within three miles of a four lane highway and they need you know, these type of utilities and so forth, we've got the data from the communities, we can get on the phone, call the communities and work this thing so that it turns into new jobs and new capital investment. So, you know, for, I wanna bring this down to a little bit more uh, personal professional level with you. So, uh, and, You've before 2020, you had one year as a secretary, secretary of commerce. So if you think about how you've personally grown, uh, personally and professionally grown because of 2020, what would you point to as the as the biggest ways in which that's occurred? And 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 what does that look like going into the next year for you? Well, I'd like to think that I'm I'm maybe a more thoughtful leader. Um, in, in how I tr we tried to push this team forward. So I came in with the idea that, um, that the Department of Commerce needed to be completely rebuilt. And um, the, the analogy I like to use though is, it's kind of like if you've had a campfire that was roaring the night before and you get up um, in the morning and there's just ashes there but you go and you stir around in the ashes and you find some coals and you, you put a little bit, you put some leaves on the coals and you blow on it a little bit and the fire comes back to life. And to a large extent, that, has, that is what we've done at, at, at Commerce. So most of the turnaround that we've seen has been through investing in the people that we already had. Now we've also brought in, we've also filled a whole bunch of of positions that were vacant and brought in terrific new talent. And so um, I don't want to take anything away from that, but um, I'm talking about maybe 40 new people in an agency of 260. And so um, this, this turnaround has happened thanks to the folks who toughed it out over, you know, uh, over a, a difficult decade and, um, you know, who believed so much in the work that they hung in there and, um, um, I, I'm, that's something I didn't understand maybe going into this job, which I understand a lot better now. And, um, and so that's been, it's been humbling. And I think it's, it's made me a better, better leader and a, a better person. So the, the fire stoker, it's not necessarily the, the fire starter, you'll be the fire stoker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well said. I was going to make some joke about uh, Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire or something. But, uh, <laughs> but as Brett knows my feelings about Billy Joel, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. We choose not to talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a touchy subject for me. Bone of contention there. Yeah. Yes. There's very few things that uh, we're contentious about, but uh, that's maybe one. <laughs> so, uh yeah, and I and obviously you know the the these changes impact on you you know uh, on a personal level. Um, you know, I know uh, today you know we're talking to you. You happen to be you're in Iola today, uh, which is great. Uh, before we got on, you were saying this is in a, a home that's was your what generation is it like three generations ago that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to buy my great grandparents' home, so it was in our family from 1921 to 1983. And then um, uh, left, it was sold and um, I got it back 10 years ago. And so this is where we've raised our children. And um, it's a beautiful uh, 1905 Victorian right in the middle of Viola. And I, I love being here. I haven't been able to be here as much as I would like um, over the past couple of years. So it's nice to be home. Yeah, and so that that shift, and because I know how much and uh, the work that we've done together over the years, I know how much uh, Iola and Allen County, Southeast Kansas, uh, has meant to you. Um, so I'm curious if you were, if you had to distill it down, what do you miss the most about waking up in Southeast Kansas every morning? 
Well, you know, Southeast Kansas is a neighborhood, basically. Um, you know, the, we've got these, um, these jurisdictional boundaries that, that are lines on maps, but they don't actually reflect how people live, work, play, worship, whatever. Um, and so I guess I, I miss just being able to, to bounce around in the region, you know, uh, go get lunch down in Humboldt, you know, hop over to Girard, um, see what's going on in Parsons, um, check out Block 22 in Pittsburgh, you know, it's, it's all those, it's all those places and the people within them that, uh, that make Southeast Kansas and, and, uh, you know, really all, um, all parts of our state special. I want to talk about the trend that we're hearing a lot about, uh, particularly because of the pandemic of people leaving big cities for smaller communities um, and talk about, I guess, Kansas as one of those places where you feel like maybe years ago you would think more Kansas, what's there? Why would I go there? And I think, you know, something Sean and I've talked about is something that has changed here in Pittsburgh is this feeling of there's nothing to do in Pittsburgh. That's not a place you would think about going, but that is changing. And we've seen it. We've seen people come back or move here. What, what is it about a place like Kansas that might be appealing to people who don't, maybe wouldn't give it a thought initially? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm working with um, a consulting team that's analyzing migration patterns in, in the country right now. And they're projecting that 17 million people are going to leave urban and suburban areas in the next uh, 36 months. And so what we're trying to do as a state is understand who these people are, where exactly they're gonna be coming from and develop a targeted strategy for how to get some of these folks to move to the state of Kansas. We also know though that we've got to do a better job on keeping our own, uh, our own people, particularly our own young people that we educate here. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again, we have been exporting our, our greatest asset and that's our young people at a deficit for way too long. We, we, we raise them here, we educate them here, we invest in them here, and then um, too often, they go off and find opportunity in other states. And um, I think that's for two reasons. Number one, we've got to make sure that the mix of jobs that we have lines up with, um, with what these young people want to do and that we've got the wages to, to support those, those, um, uh, those young people. But I think also we've got to do a better job as a state and as local communities of, of being proud about who we are and what a great place uh, Kansas is to live. And, um, you know, we, we're uh, generally pretty modest as, as people in Kansas. We don't crow about ourselves like we should. And um, I, I think that needs to change to a certain extent. Doesn't mean we're, we're boastful, um, but it does mean that we, we've got to get out there and make the case for, um, uh, for our own kids, and then for, for folks around the country that really are seeking out new destinations where, you know, um, you think about the wide open spaces that we have, and you think about the, the, the scenic vistas, the historic sites, the architecture, the, um, the culinary opportunities, the, um, uh, you know, the sense of connectedness that we have in communities across this state. Um, those those are things which maybe haven't been in vogue as much in the last, uh, you know, last generation, couple generations. I think that's coming back. And so we've got to make sure that Kansas and the communities within our state are at the forefront of, of telling that message to the rest of the world. And, you know, let 17 million people are going to move. Let's say, you know, we, we got, um, uh, just a fraction, a tiny fraction of, of that number to move into Kansas, it'd be an enormous win. And you couple that with doing a better job of keeping our own young people in the state or going after people like me who uh, were born and raised in Kansas, 
you know, I, I graduated from Iola High School. I went off to KU. I uh, did grad school at KU. And as soon as I was done with grad school, I moved to Washington, D.C. I moved to the East Coast. And, and that was fine when I was 23. And, um, and I, I loved that period of my life. But when my wife and I started having children, we didn't want to live in a row house in the middle of Washington, D.C. anymore. We wanted to, to raise our kids in a, in a place like where we were raised. Um, my wife's a Pittsburgh native. Um, you know, this is how we envisioned um, our kids being, being brought up. And so when I was 31, made sense. Let's, let's come home. So I think we got to target those people as well. And, and let's have them boomerang right back to us. Well, and that's something I think both Brett and I share a similar arc, uh, story arc on that. Uh, you know, growing up in, in Southeast Kansas, I mean, technically I was on the other side of the state line, just barely, uh, but I've burned all of that off of me. So don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm fully Kansan now. Um, You're one of us than, now. Yeah. Yes, I'm fully Kansan. Other than my perpetual love for Mark Twain, uh, uh, that's the, the one residual piece, but he was as much Connecticut as it was Missouri. So, uh, but uh, it, we have similar stories, you know, of coming back after leaving for a while. And so, uh, you know, uh, we look forward to working with you from the standpoint of our Imagine Pittsburgh 2030 programs and these sorts of things that are going to be very targeted at trying to get people to come home. And so hopefully we can uh, we can work together on that. And so uh, I know that our, our time is limited today. So I want to I want to shift into just a quick. These are just kind of lightning round questions as we uh, start to wrap it up. OK, so uh, the, the first the first one is. Um, I don't know how much music you listen to, books you read, whatever it is, whatever those things are that you do that's other media kind of things. What were you listening to this year in your headphones or in the car? What were you reading uh, that was the biggest focus for you this year or watching? Um, a lot of Radiohead this year. Um, a lot of Bowie this year. Um, let's see. Um, Actually, I've I've been listening to uh, to Pavarotti's performance live performances, um, which is is very different for me. But um, I don't know it it uh, it just struck me right this year. Um, let's see. In terms of what I'm reading, um, let's see. Um, most recently, um, the, the Great Pandemic of 1918. Um, which is is fascinating. It's it's a uh, it's a pretty heavy lift. And I, I've subscribed to the to the New Yorker magazine since I was nineteen or twenty, and I still do. And so I don't have the kind of time that I'd like to to be able to read um, a, a lot of books or as many books as I used to. But um, I appreciate having access to the New Yorker and and to you know kind of being able to wade into meaty. Uh, topics through that every week. So I think one of the most important follow-ups on that, uh, because I think you and I have spoken before about our shared love of Radiohead, and uh, and we've even and, and and Brad has even been brought along on that love too. Now, uh, uh, what, while, I'm finally there. He's finally there. Uh, <laughs> what what album and what song were the most important? Um, um, so tough. Probably the Ben's album. So. When I was a freshman in college in, at KU in 1995, um, Radiohead was touring in support of, of their new album, The Benz, and they came to the bottleneck in Lawrence. And I went to that show and it was, it was incredible. And um, so that, that would be the album. The song though would probably be Lucky. And uh, that one, you know, that'll give you the feels for sure. That is, uh, you know, and the Benz is such a uh, underappreciated album uh, because it comes after Creep, which was so odd a little bit. And it comes with 4OK Computer, which is the, yeah. you know, uh, it's like our it's like our generation's dark side of the moon. Right. Is OK Computer. So, uh, uh, well, and, and I, I, you know, I would say um, let down from OK Computer, an incredible song. And uh, yeah, I could if I. If I had to to choose, you know, one song I'd I'd play on repeat on a desert island, it, it might be one of those two L songs from from Radiohead, "Lucky or Let Down." 
That's brilliant. Uh, Radiohead's one of probably the five most important bands in my, of my life. So that's uh, that's important. Uh, last one, quick. Uh, if you had to pick one word for 2020, what is it? Hmm. You know, I I'm so tired of the word pivot because you hear it all the time, but that's the word I'm afraid. Um, I, I've, I've used it too much. Every, the media has used it too much, but it's so uh, word of the year is pivot. All right. That's good. Brad, do you have anything real quick? Just to. Yes, I do real quick. Um, David, every time I've seen you, which has been maybe three times, but look, let's face it. That's enough. When you're as, as great as David Tolan three times gets into you. <laughs> but you always look nice and i'm just wondering where do you buy your clothes what's what's your go-to brand um suit supply yeah. actually um I highly recommend but there's also um a store in downtown pittsburgh uh, miners and uh monroe miners and monroe, monroe? Yeah. okay so my my favorite sweatshirt actually came from miners and monroe i think um, I'm wearing a Miners and Monroe sweatshirt right now. And no kidding. Yeah. We, literally, Davey was who we just finished an interview with before we talked to you. And he's the owner that's, of Miners and Monroe. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, it really depends on, on uh, you know, whether we're talking uh, casual clothes or, you know, the, sure. the stuff I'm wearing today. But yeah. Um, yeah. So suit supply for professional and um, big fan of Miners and Monroe in downtown Pittsburgh. Man, we didn't even plant that. That was really good. <laughs> uh, That's excellent. Well, David, uh, we're so pleased to have had you here today. We're going to have you back for a more in-depth conversation about uh, the economic strategy for the state and, uh, and, and those sorts of things. But uh, we're just very proud uh, of you uh, as a Southeast Kansan and even more uh, that you're uh, my friend So uh, and our friend. So thanks, David. Hey, Sean, Brett, thank you, guys. You're the best. I appreciate you having me on. Okay. Thanks for your time. Yeah.